Would you like to stand and sing with us? This one's a little bit, little bit calmer. <laughs> this one's called Draw Me Close. It's a very pretty song. Stand and sing with us. Draw me close to you Never let me go I lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm your friend You are my desire no one else will do Cause nothing else could take your place To feel the warmth of your embrace Help me find a way Bring me back to
Will you please join me in the reading of God's word? Taken from the Old Testament, we're going to be reading Psalm 100, all five verses. Again, listen to the word of God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been robbed? I remember a day that we discovered that my wife Kathy's car had been taken from out in front of our house. Uh, we, uh, somebody broke into it and took her car. It was chopped up for parts. And two weeks later, just as the day that the insurance was about to kick in, and it was dumped then on the streets of El Cajon, and I had to have it towed away. I also remember my first week at seminary in Pasadena at Fuller. One night, somebody came in and took 105 bikes from the seminary dorms. They came and, and used their bolt cutters and took a great big truck, because when you talk about 105 bikes, and they cut the bolts and the, the chains, and they were all laying all over the ground, and um, all 100, never saw them again, nor heard of them again, uh, and there we were, seminary students that were using them to get back and forth uh, to the seminary. It's a sad life lesson that all of us probably have learned at one time or another. Leave something out, unattended or not locked down, not locked up, and it's a safe bet that it's going to be stolen. We, we had a, also a basketball hoop that was one of those big things that was portable and we had it sitting right in front of our house. Uh, on, the, on the pad, and one morning we got up and the whole thing was gone. It had taken somebody with a great big truck to haul this thing away. I don't think I live in a bad neighborhood, but, uh, well, we all know what can happen. One more. A number of years ago, somebody walked through our church. We had a school there, a preschool through the uh, sixth grade at the time, and they walked into our kitchen and took the church's full-size microwave and walked out, uh, even though there were teachers and students and parents and church staff all there. Somehow they just got it and walked out, and everybody looked at them and said, well, they must have be getting it for some reason. And uh, sure enough, it walked away. Despite all of our real-life experiences, our first reaction uh, to learning something of ours has been stolen, first is just kind of a dazed disbelief. We think, surely, our uh, car has got to be someplace else. Maybe I just don't remember correctly where I parked it, or we think, well, my purse isn't there. It must have fallen or uh, be someplace else. 
And we just, if we just keep looking for it long enough, we'll find it. These are our first reactions. After the reality sets in, what's our next reaction? We get mad. Who would dare do this to me? What kind of a low life takes my car? Then we think something like, what are they going to do with my stuff? Probably sell it and get drugs. Then we think, how am I supposed to get along without my car? After getting mad, then we get sad and scared. Something we wanted that was ours is now gone. We feel vulnerable. We feel exposed and afraid. Your private space has been invaded. They take away more than your stuff. They take away your peace of mind and your sense of security. My wife had all of the locks in the entire house changed after her car was stolen. Now, they didn't ever come into the house. They just wanted her car, but she made me get all the locks changed with a sad realization. We understand that we can be robbed of anything and really everything at any moment. Have you ever been robbed? Raise your hand if you've ever been robbed. Well, that's almost all of you, all right? So you understand what I'm talking about here. I don't think anybody here would uh, put themselves in the category, though, of being a thief. Would you? I didn't see any hands on that one. Now, I'm not talking about the grapes that you sampled in the produce section of the grocery store. Aha, you all do it just like I do. Okay. Or the movie that you sneaked into when you were young. I never did that. Ne no, never did that. No, I'm talking about larceny, or maybe on a grand scale. None of us place ourselves there. Right now, I want us to look at our scripture passage for today. It's John 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Somehow the, the, the one got misplaced there. Yes, I know it's the same passage that we looked at last Sunday, but it's one of the key passages in the whole Gospel of John. And I want to be sure that we understand how important it really is. These words are so familiar to us that we don't even hear them anymore, but I'm going to read them to you anyway. So open your ears. Hear the word of God to us. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if it were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, 
said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus was reminding the teacher that when the Jews were in the desert, a poisonous snakes had come and were, were biting the people of uh, of Israel, and the only way that they could be healed of their uh, uh, fiery uh, snake bites was to look at a snake that was designed and put upon a, a, a pole that was lifted up, and they were to look up at that. And it was a foreshadowing of what he was to do when he's put on the cross. Then the most familiar verse in all of uh, the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God's treasure to the world, his gift beyond all value, the gift that he has offered to every living creature on earth is a son given so that the world might be saved through him. This God treasure needs a delivery system. And the delivery system that God has chosen to use is us. Michael said it well, if we really want to reach our community, then we need to go and, and even for a kid's water day, knock on some doors. Now, some of you may be afraid to say, wait a minute, you know, it's a pretty dangerous area here. Well, then don't go alone. Take somebody with you. But go and knock on the door and invite. Otherwise, they won't come. The days are over that you build a church, you open the doors, and people show up. That's just not the way it works anymore. But they will come if they understand what the value-added event is. And for their kids, they'll come and be part of what you're doing because you're doing it for their children. We are God's witnesses to the world of first his love and then his salvation. They'll see and understand him through us and our words and our actions. In the beginning of this passage, we learn about a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was recognized religious scholar and extremely pious. And uh, Nick had uh, and Jesus were discussing what it means to become a follower, a follower of Jesus, being born again, or some translators say in what most of my sermon last week was about being born from above. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something, and I do this hesitantly. I won't mention who I'm hesitant about, 
but um, yeah, I'm looking at them. Um, what I'm going to ask you to do right now in church is close your eyes, all right? But don't go to sleep. Just close your eyes for a minute. Clear your thoughts. Now think about the person you love more than anybody else in the world. Picture them. Could be a mother or a father. Could be a grandparent. Is it your son or a daughter or a friend or a husband or a wife or, or a grandchild? What is it that you love about them? Does what you love about them have anything to do with the love that they have shown you? Now imagine God loving that person. Imagine God loving that person so much that God gave his only son so that that person may have eternal life. Now I want you to keep your eyes closed. Don't go to sleep. If you start to hear snoring next to you, poke them. I want you to... Somebody poke somebody without them sleeping. I know it. I want you to think about a person that you dislike more than anybody else in the world. Could that person be a family member? Is it someone who has physically or emotionally abused you? Is it somebody who bullied you or excluded you as a child? Is it someone who bullies and excludes you even now? Is it someone you disagree with politically? Maybe a leader. Is that person a neighbor or a co-worker? Who is that person? What are you fe your feelings towards that person you dislike? What thoughts come to your mind? Now imagine God loving that person so much that God gave his only son so that they might have eternal life. Okay, open your eyes. Come back to me, please. Which scenario for you was easier to imagine? The person you loved or the person you disliked? Jesus in our Bible passage for today makes one of the most extraordinary announcements in all of time. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's easy for us to assume that God loves the people that we love or the people who seem to be doing good things. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that God loves the whole world. That includes the people we might not be terribly fond of or the people who may not be terribly fond of us. God has an incredibly deep and unconditional love for the world. I find it mind-boggling. We might expect uh, those of us whom God created to reach out to the creator. Instead, the creator reaches out to us, to a lost, broken, and horribly messed up creation. People who have actually rebelled against him. God reaches out to us through Jesus Christ. The implications are massive. It means that God can be found where the Son of God is found. Think about it. In the space of two chapters in John's Gospel, Jesus is found to first meeting in the dark of night with a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, 
a powerful man. And next, and we'll look at this in a few weeks, Jesus is found meeting at noonday sun with a Samaritan woman, a forgotten outsider. And while Jesus can sometimes be found in the synagogue and in the temple, he usually is seen in the streets where he's feeding and he's healing and he's teaching and he's forgiving and he's loving. And today Jesus is still living in the world through the Holy Spirit, doing the same exact thing, but on a much larger scale through his church. That's you and me. He's loving and working through the Pentecostals and the Methodists and the Lutherans and the Calvary chaplains working together in the help center across the street. That's a miracle, really. When Christian people come together in our common mission to love God and love our neighbors in life-changing and tangible ways, the petty differences of denominations and theological disagreements, they, they all fall away. It's when Christians are living without vision and purpose that we start throwing rocks at each other instead of handing out bread. What's the saying? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. But when we're all working together to do all we can to help a lost, sad, dark, and dying world know God loves them, that's where hope that Jesus died for them, that's when all the disagreements about doctrine and denominations and who's in and who's out becomes nothing but filthy rags. On Friday, my son was telling me about his church in Chula Vista. They had a a day of hope. And in the morning, about 8 uh, o'clock, many different groups got together in their parking lot. And they set up uh, pop-up tents, and they had... uh, people that gave haircuts. They had people that uh, talked to people about uh, human trafficking. They, they had the police there. They had, they had medical people there that, that would uh, give shots that needed to be given for free to the homeless. And all, they had food and they had clothing and, and, and they even had portable showers there. Now they didn't have hundreds and hundreds, but But in their community, in their area, 35 people came and were uh, cared for. That's what the church is supposed to be about. To care for those that are unable to care for themselves. I I love our meet and greet that we have here. A chance to give some people a a warm meal. And uh, today, the chance that they can get flu shots. There are things that we can do that, that, that are exciting and, and fulfilling. And I want to encourage you to don't get involved in all of them. That's the first thing I want to tell you. But get involved in one of the things that we do. Get involved in the outreach to the children in Water Day or get involved in, in what we're doing this afternoon with uh, the, the lunch and the meet and greet or get involved in something outside of yourself where you share the love of Jesus because you see he gave you love and you're to give that love out 
to somebody else. It doesn't mean you have to do all of them, but do one of them so that we as a church, you as believers, put feet on your faith. But the world hears a different message from churches. How often does what we call the gospel, which is really no gospel at all, sound a lot like, not love, but condemnation? How wrong we get it when we get in the way. Jesus makes it clear, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus' mission, and thus our mission, is well not a, a mission of rejection, but it's a rescue mission. It's the offer of life and love from above to all who are perishing. So many of us have been taught that the goal in life is the accumulation of stuff, prestige, and getting enough power. But that doesn't bring salvation, nor does it bring satisfaction to us. Others of us live in a, a land of addiction to short-term fixes that can never fully take away our deep-seated long-term pain. And so God comes to each of us. God calls all of us. God offers everyone his love and his salvation. And if we dare accept his love for us, then we are to offer his love to others. As we continue to read John's gospel, we're going to come to a point where Jesus is arrested and deserted by those who love him most. As Jesus is condemned to death, Peter, his right-hand man, denies even knowing him. And when he dies, he dies alone. Then after the resurrection, he reaches out again to his disciples who have failed him. He serves them breakfast and he says to Peter, do you love me? Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Twice, Jesus uses the word love, which is phileo, which means brotherly love. Jesus, every time, used the do you agape me. Do you love me completely, wholly? Finally, Peter, after the third time, I think, got the understanding that, yeah, he denied his Lord three times, and he needed to be reconnected to Jesus. And Jesus' response to Peter's commitment is to give instructions to care for people. To love Jesus is to love others, to care for them. In action, on their behalf, for their sake, not yours. This is how the world will know that we are Jesus' disciple if we have love for one another. This is how the world will come to know that they're loved by God because they see us loving one another and them. That there is more to life than the darkness that we have become used to. So there's really hope. That there's real 
eternal life. St. Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Nothing else is sufficient. Nothing else satisfies. That's the reason we all long to be wooed and to be loved and to be wanted. But nothing can satisfy this desire to be loved except for God. Our souls are hardwired for his love. There's a hole in our hearts that he alone can fill. And what's beautiful about this is that the same can be said for him. In fact, the feeling is more than mutual. Jesus has a hole in his heart that you alone can fill. You individually. No one else can fill it. And he's not going to rest until you're found. All right. This is really dangerous, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes again. Just for a few moments. Twice in church you get to sleep. What can you, better thing than that? And listen to me. God formed you in your mother's womb. The creator of the world doesn't just know you exist. He willed you to exist. Now with your eyes still closed, just touch your hair. Those of you that still have any. Every single strand he's counted. He doesn't simply know you. He knows everything about you. Now put your hand over your heart. Can you feel that? That heartbeat is a reaffirmation of the fact that God has given you life today. God doesn't just like you. He loves you. And with each heartbeat, he tells you that he's happy you're alive. And finally, I'm going to ask you to look up here and look at the cross. He gave his life for you. Jesus holds nothing back to love you. He doesn't give you just the time of day. He gives you his whole self and then some. I choose you, Jesus says in John 13, 4. I've loved you, Jesus says in John 13, 34. You're mine, God promises in Isaiah 43, 1. God loves you. And he's dying and did die to prove it. For God so loves the world. Do you believe that? So one last question. Are we robbing God? Are we guilty of embezzlement? Well, every time that we fail to share the love of Jesus Christ when we're nudged to do it by God, we rob God. Every time we offer judgment instead of forgiveness, we rob God. Every person we dismiss as unlovable or unredeemable, we rob God. With every man or woman we reject because their lifestyle doesn't fit comfortably with us, we rob God. For God so loved the church. Isn't that what it says? For God so loved America. Now surely that's what it says. For God so loved Presbyterians. I know that's what God says. No. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him believes in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. This is the treasure God offers our world. 
forgiveness for our lifestyles of selfishness, sin, and evil. He offers us in Christ eternal life, life with him, a chance to live just like God intended for it to be before we blew it. This is the treasure God offers the world. When we hold back the message of the love of Jesus freely offered, that's when we rob God. So I'm going to ask you to join with me this morning in repenting of robbing God. Will you join me in renewing our willingness to share the love of God with others? Some of us live as if we uh, were a private church. And God wants us to be a church for others. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we come first of all and, and repent of our sin. Sin that, that realizes that we want church and the spiritual life and our religious life to go the way we want it to. Lord, that does nothing to honor you. We ask you, to renew our willingness to share the love of God with others. People that you nudge us to share it with, not just because we're supposed to. We'll wait for you to nudge us. Maybe you need to trip some of us to wake up, but at least let us know this is a person we're to love. Lord, we understand we're not a private church that we really are a church for others because you are a God for others and you call us to come and follow you. So Jesus will follow. You lead. Holy Spirit, nudge us. Speak to us. Show us how to be your people in a hurting and lost world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.